You're listening to Real Faith Radio, presented by Praise Chapel, Las Vegas. This is where real faith meets real pain. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play Music to get instant notifications when new episodes are available to stream. You can also visit our website, PraiseChapelLasVegas.com, to find out more info about PCLB and visit our event tab to see what's going on this month. Lastly, like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram at PCLasVegas. Thank you again and enjoy the message. All right, Corral, give God some praise. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come on. Hallelujah. You may be seated this morning. Amen. God bless you guys. Amen. We'll be in the house. Amen. Uh, we got like around 35 minutes each. Amen. So I'm going to just jump into the Word of God. Amen. How many enjoyed last night? Man, what a powerful, powerful time. Powerful message. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Carl, for that message. Amen. What a, uh, what a, what a challenge for us. Amen. To, to come into the house. Amen. And to demonstrate this, this thing called love, amen. Uh, this morning, I want to minister on our theme, in our conference, amen, love. I want you to turn to somebody and say, I love you. Amen. You know, love really, truly makes our world go round, amen. The world's looking for love, amen, but how many know they're looking in the wrong places? You know, listen, the best use of life is love. The best expression of love is time, and the best time to love is now. Amen. You know, hate is a new love in this world today. People are embracing hate as love. Come on, there's a passion in their hate. There, there's, a, there's a passion in their bitterness, amen, and in their resentment. But how many know that hate and love, church, don't go together? Come on. Nothing sinful, nothing evil can exist in God's presence. Amen. We must not be moved by what we see on Facebook, what we see on the media, man. We cannot be moved by what we read and see towards certain people, groups, amen. It must not change, church, who we are. Come on, if we are children of God, amen, then we must be moved by his spirit. Can somebody say amen? Romans chapter 8, 14 says, all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. We cannot hate those that hate us, but love them. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4 says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Others may hate you, church. Those that hate you don't win unless you hate them back. We must, say I must, we must love one another. You know, if we're going to grow as a church, if we're going to grow as a fellowship, amen, if we're going to be effective here in Las Vegas and all around the world, church, we must love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 8 says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who, is, who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God created you and I to love. Love is important, church. Love is usually a 
usually thought as, as just a feeling. Come on, but in reality, love is a choice and an action. I choose to love my wife. Come on, even when I don't feel like it. And vice versa. Come on, she chooses to love me even when I do my dumb things. Come on. Because it's not a feeling, church. It's a choice. It's an action. 1 John 4, 19 says this, we love him because he first loved us. God chose to love us first, church. Despite of who you were, amen, despite of what you've done, despite of what you have said, amen, he chose to love you. Come on, somebody say thank you. Come on, despite of where we came from and the things that we thought in the past and the things that we have done, amen, he still loved us and chose to love us. See, God's love is the source of all human love. His love, this love that we're talking about during this week and during this conference, come on, is a flame. His love, amen, flames us to love others. See, in loving others, God kindles a flame within our hearts, a flame to love others, church. You see, we have to choose to love. Even when you don't feel like it, even if you don't like it, even if you don't like them, you still got to love them. Amen. Come on. Because true love is not a feeling, but a choice. Look what 1 Corinthians 13 says, 4 through 7. It says, this is what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily anger. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil or hatred, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And it goes on to say in verse 8, love never fails. God is the source of our love. Can somebody say amen? And because he is God, amen, and his love never fails. He loved us enough to sacrifice his only son for us. Jesus is our example of what it means to love. Everything that he did throughout his life, even death on the cross, was love. He laid down his life for you and I. Let me tell you, folks, that's love. That a friend would lay down his life for others. He did that for us. That's love, church. First John, I mean, not First John, but John 4, 9 through 10 says this. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. See, you got to understand the Holy Spirit gives us the power to love. Come on. You know, Acts 1.8 says what? You shall receive what? Power. You shall receive power. Listen, if he lives in our hearts and we come more and more like Jesus, you got to understand that we will change and we will start to love as God loves. God's love always involves a choice. God's love always involves an action. And our love should be just like his. John 4, 8 says that God is love, not love is God. See, our world is weak and has shallow thinking, amen. It, is a, it has a selfish view of love, 
And the world has turned these words around, these words around. Instead of God is love, they say love is God. And it presents a misunderstanding of what love is. The world thinks love is a, you know what, if it feels good, it, you know, it, it must be love. Come on, if it makes you feel good, it must be love. It must be God because God, because love is God. But this love that makes people feel good has now made a, a, a sacrifice, listen, to sacrifice our moral principles and other rights in order to gain or get such love. God is not this kind of love, church. Real love, God's love, that God is love thing is, means that we love, that this love is holy, this love is just, and this love is perfect. It does not change or compromise, church. Listen, if we truly know God, and if his spirit truly lives inside of each one of us, and we start to love as he does, church, then we will demonstrate to this world who God is. 1 John chapter 4, 16 to 17 says this, We know how much God loved us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in his love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we're not afraid on the day of judgment, but we can, be, we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. See, our, our theme, our banner for the year, it says that no one has seen God. Amen. 1 John 4.12 of our theme scripture says, no one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love has made us complete or completes inside of us. See, if no one has seen God, then how, how do we know him? You know, 1 John 1.18 says this, no one has seen God but the one and only true son who is God himself, who is closest in relationship with the Father, has made him known. John says right here that Jesus, who's God himself, amen, who's near to the Father's heart, amen, Jesus is the complete expression of God in human form. He has revealed God to us through his life. When we love each other, church, then the invisible God becomes visible. Come on, amen. The unseen God becomes seen, church, uh, because he lives inside of us. He lives inside us. He's shown through us, amen, that the world can see God. We become his. We become his feet. We become his arms to others, amen, and his love completes us, church. How many here want to be complete? Come on, how many walked into this place a little lacking, Amen. Come on, we, we, we were missing something now. There's something missing in our life, amen. When we come to a place in our life of confusion, or we come to the place of life, there has to be a meaning to life. And we come looking because people come to the church because they're incomplete. The definition of complete is this. Having all the necessary parts, not lacking anything, not limited in any way, not requiring extra work. Doesn't feel good when you're lacking the necessary parts, guys. Come on, without the necessary parts, 
most of us or all of us get frustrated. Come on, somebody. It makes you work a little harder. I mean, you ever bought a stand and you're missing parts? And you're putting it together, and that's, a, that's the one part that you need that will put it, leave it all together. And you, you say, man, uh, it makes it hard, so we try to Mickey Mouse it. Come on, I, I was helping my son uh, change a battery in, his, in Des's car. And I thought I had all the necessary parts. And so I, I left home, I got the parts from my house, I said, I'm going to help my son, and I was missing the socket. And, I had, and they had to reach down into a corner, and so I had to, it was hard. You say, you want to drive? I don't want to drive all the way home. That's going to take another, you know, 30-minute turnaround, 40-minute turnaround. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll make it work. And though I was trying to keep cool inside, I was getting frustrated on the, on the inside. I was just like, oh, man, I can't get this screw up, but I got it out. But it made it hard because I didn't have all the right parts, church. Come on, listen, uh, without God's love, uh, without his Holy Spirit living inside of us, if we just come to church and not be the church church, uh, we're going to lack the necessary parts, amen. You will be incomplete in your walk with God. <laughs> Serving God will be harder when you don't have his love inside of you, when you don't have his spirit inside of you. How many know that the Holy Spirit makes it so much better? Hallelujah. I mean, I love it when the Holy Spirit just works inside and he's living inside of me and he tells me, stop, don't do that, don't say that. He gives me all the necessary parts to continue to display his love. We need to gather everything that we need, church. When we truly experience the love of God in our lives, and we truly love one another, as Christ loved us. When, when God is truly living inside of us and through us, church, we will never, ever be lacking. We'll have all the necessary parts. We will be complete. Come on, we don't have to work as hard because you know what? When Jesus is inside of you and he's your life and he's your number one, it just flows. It just flows, church. I mean, all hell can be breaking loose, but if Jesus is on the inside, let me tell you that it's just like a, him in your boat, and, and it can be all kind of chaos, uh, you know, storms all over the place. But if he's inside of you, if he's inside your boat, church, everything's okay. Everything is fine. So important to have his love inside of us. It's so important to have the Holy Spirit live inside of us. Amen. We will be perfect in Christ. We will be whole in Christ. We will be full of Christ. We will be complete in Christ if his love is inside of us. We need to love people, church. You got to love your brothers and sisters here. If we don't love each other here, we got a problem, amen. Come on, how are we going to love the world when we're fighting in the church? I think the world loves each other more than sometimes the church people do. I mean, there's so much bitterness, hatred, fighting in the church. And then the sinner walks in and says, you guys are no different than us out there. You know, we, we must display love in, this, in our church. Amen. If, we, if we're going to wear this shirt, if you're going to walk around representing the Christ, uh, the church of Jesus Christ, amen, you better be loving people on the outside as well. I mean, how? 
can we say we love when we hate our brother? The Bible, the Word, God says you're a liar and a murderer. We've got to love people, church. I mean, why are we mad-dogging people in church? Well, I mean, it's easy to love those that you love. But how about those that are sandpaper and come next to you? And you're like, ah. You normally sit here because they're sitting there. You move over here. We need to love people, church. Some people simply enjoy being with others. And there's some people that, that make friends real easily. They're outgoing, while others are a little shy and more reserved. They may not have a lot of friends around them, or it's hard to talk to people that they really don't know. But you really don't have to be outgoing, church, to love others. See, John here is telling us not on how many people to love, but how much to love the people that are around you right now. How to love those people there that are in your circle right now. See, our job, say my job, is to love people faithfully. God has given us the spirit to love others, amen? We are to love others, whether it's many, whether it's few, church. Listen, if God sees that we're ready to love others, he'll bring others along. He'll bring others to you. It doesn't matter how shy we are or we don't have to be afraid of the love commandment. God will provide the strength that we need to love others. 1 John chapter 4.13 says this, God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he lives inside of us. See, when you became Christians, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you came and answered the altar call, you received the Holy Spirit. There was a baptism of the Holy Spirit that you got. Amen. God's presence in our life, church, is proof that we belong to him. That he's also given us the power to love because he first has loved us. The world's so desperate today, church. For love. So desperate out there. They're looking to be loved. You know, Pastor Carr brought it, brought it powerfully. They want to belong. Right? I mean, how many want to belong? Come on, it's very important. But the belonging part is attached to love. If you're loving, then they'll 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 belong. And so every everyone here, everyone that goes into Anywhere they are, because as he said, they come very uncomfortable already. And so if you can just break down that barrier with love, embrace somebody with love, smile somebody with a genuine smile, not a fake smile, and love somebody, amen, let me tell you, they will see God in you. And you can win them over simply by loving them. Man. We love people out of drugs. We love people out of prostitution. We love people out of homosexuality. We love people, guys. That's what breaks it. It's the power of love. 
demonstrated through us. Love's a powerful thing when you understand God's love. Not the world's love, but God's love. Romans chapter 5, 5 says this. And this is the hope. This hope will not lead to disappointment. But we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. I believe, church, when you truly want to know who God is, and you surrender your life to God, and you come and experience the love of God, just like this young man yesterday, that was the love of God. Nobody can do that but God. You have all felt that when God has touched you. Come on. That's love. That's when you experience the love of God. That, 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 that is not something you can manufacture. That is not something that you can try to mimic or try to create. It, it, it has to be God. And so when we as believers gather as a people that love God, then God demonstrates himself. And he starts to move in the midst of his people. That young man, I heard I was talking, that young man's still crying today, right now, this morning, because he's so overwhelmed with love. He's so overwhelmed with the spirit that touched him last night. This hope will not lead us to disappointment. Because we know, like it says, the scripture says, how much he's loved us, and, and the Holy Spirit fills our heart with his love. How many want to love a little bit better? How many can say, man, I, I lack some areas of love? You know, there's times that in my job, amen, that oh, I, I don't want to love. <laughs> it, it, you know what? It's hard to love people at times. I believe if we just got rid of people, we'd be all right. <laughs> but we got to deal with people every single day. And I got to remind myself, God, I'm a representative of you. I'm an ambassador of your kingdom. And I, I can't show any signs of dislike in my life. I got to love. I got to choose to love because he chose to love me. When I was all tore up and messed up in my life, God still loved me. When I was doing, mis doing mistreating my wife and doing the wrong things, he still loved me. He didn't write me off. He didn't, he didn't say away from, you know, away from me. He loved me, and he looked for me, and he found me. He found me where I was in my mess, all dirty and all smelly, and he said, you know what, I, I love you. And that's what he did for each one of us says, I love you. And then when you can fall into a, that kind of love that overlooks all your wrongs and says, and looks at your heart and says, I love you, it breaks you. It broke me. I say, God, thank you. 
that you saved me. Me. As Pastor Gar says, why me? Why not? That's his love, church. This church doesn't look at, at race, doesn't look at appearance, doesn't look at how dirty we are or how messed up we are. He looks at our heart because he created us. We're his sons and we're his daughters. And I think if we can just demonstrate this love, no one has seen God. You know, let me, let me give you a little quick testimony. That co-worker that got saved from my job that got invited, she's been coming here for a month, her little daughter that comes to worship right here, she has never, ever, ever experienced what, what God is, who, who God is. Never been exposed to church. And something drew the little girl to worship God. And all she talks about now is God and Jesus. Seven-year-old experienced the love of God for the first time. Why? Because she felt the love in this place and felt the love of God. You guys showed her who God was through your life. She, she, she doesn't stop. She is going to be the anchor to her salvation. This little girl, I mean, the mom's just weeping, telling me all this stuff. And, I, and she's like, she's overwhelmed. I said, that little girl's going to keep you saved. That little girl's going to keep you saved. I gave her, I gave her the shirt that the, my wife made for the kids. She hasn't taken it off. She's wearing that love shirt everywhere. She thinks it was the greatest thing ever created. That's what God's love does, church. See, when we really just experience his love, the questions, the whys, and all everything else, and how comes, really doesn't matter. God, I'm going to love you, and I'm just going to trust you. When he gave me back my life, I didn't question him. I said, God, I'm going to trust you. You're going to put my life back together. His love sustained me through all the years, and has sustained me through right where it is right now because of his love. I will never, ever leave his love. This is the best thing I ever had. As I close this morning, amen, let's rely on that power that's been given us to each one of us to reach out to others. And as we do this, we'll gain confidence, church, because we're going we're gonna to bring life. We're gonna, if we're going to bring change in this world, it's only going to come by the way we love each other. And as we do, as we demonstrate this love through our lives, church, the world, the world will see God by the way you live and by the way you love each other. Sometimes you don't need to even preach nobody. Just demonstrate your life and just love people. They'll see something different in you. They'll see, something will be drawn to you. People will be drawn to you, and they'll experience love without even mentioning God, sometimes not even saying his name. They'll just they'll, they'll draw to you, and they'll sense the love of God inside of you. Amen? Praise the Lord. Give the Lord some praise. Amen. As Pastor Adam comes up. Amen. All right. How's everybody doing this morning? 
You guys awake? Yeah. Feeling good? All right. So it's so good to be here. I love genuine people. That's what I love. I love being around genuine people. I think uh, you guys have found this church, and you, I think you probably realize uh, being around your pastors, uh, Pastor Art and Maria, that they're genuine people. Sonny, one of my homies, my friends, long time. Genuine people, and you know, just coming around this room and shaking hands. I'm trying to get to know a few of you, Josh and Derek, and a few of the disciples here. This this church is full of genuine people, and I and I I love being around people that love God, that love each other, and uh, you can feel that when you walk in the building. Garrett, shake your hand this morning. Um, hey, you can feel it. You can you can you can feel it when you walk into a house where people love each other and love God, and and uh, it's always it's always fun to come to places like that because then you realize that your family is much larger. Than you, than you originally thought, you know what I mean? And uh, so it's, it's good to be here at the Love Conference. I remember Pastor Art uh, hit me up and, and invited us to come be a part of this conference and, and uh, went on to say, I, I actually read that it was, it was in an email form. He said that the theme is love. And I'll be honest with you, the first thing that came to my mind is that song, What's Love Got to Do? You know, that's what I was thinking in my mind. The song, Secondhand Emotion and all of these different things. And and, uh, but I'm glad that we're finally here. This has been months in the, in the works and uh, just excited to be here. And, you know, it's really cool being here with my dad. We don't get to do this kind of stuff very often. Hey, man, thanks, bro. Appreciate it, man. Um, we don't get to kind of, we don't get to minister like this together very often. So I think it's great. So I want to I thank you, Pastor R, for, for that. I can't wait for tonight. I'm excited about tonight. I have a little more time tonight to kind of maybe get into a little of my story, uh, introduce you to my family members, uh, talk a little bit about some different things and, and share some personal things. But this morning, I want, I want you to know that when we come to minister, I, I know a lot of times people come and minister, and, and sometimes it can feel like people are preaching at you. And, uh, and, and I want you to know that's not our intention whatsoever. So whatever you hear today, it's not because I've decided to come preach at you. I'm journeying with you. Um, what, what, what God's put on my heart to share over the next couple of days is really what God's been doing in my life over the last month or two. And, and anytime I preach, it comes from an authentic spot in my own heart where God's working on me, challenging me, and, and adjusting some stuff in me. How many know all of us need adjusting sometimes? We all, we all get into places and positions in our life and walk with Christ where we get out of kilter. We get out of sync a little bit. And, and, and God has a way of kind of putting us back in spot and getting us back in order. And, and, and so I want you to know I'm journeying with you. This is, this is what God has been doing inside of me. I love conference morning sessions. I know the, the larger crowd is usually at night. I get that. But the, the morning crowd is going to be your strength, the people, the disciples, the people that want to do something great for God, you know, that aren't, that, that aren't sitting at home on a Saturday watching, watching SpongeBob SquarePants, but they decide, I'm going to get up. I'm going to get the house of God. I want God to speak to me. You want a little extra. And, and, and so I love, I love morning sessions because we, we deal with practical things in the morning sessions. We can talk a little bit more real. And, and so I'll challenge you. Get your phones out. Take some notes. And all, all four messages this morning. Write some things down as God begins to, to do something in your life, some adjustments that, that you can begin to make. Um, you know, the most famous scripture probably in the Bible is John 3.16, one that we all can quote, probably the first scripture we ever learned. And the scripture is, says, for God so loved the world. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the beginning of, of this whole concept. This theme of love began. Um, with, with, with God sending his son Jesus into the world. That's, that's when the theme started. It didn't start at the beginning of 2017 at PCLV. This, this began with God so loving the world that he gave his son Jesus. And, 
And we know that Jesus lived the perfect life, and he did that out of love. He could have quit any time. You know, we, we, we quit all the time. Jesus could have quit any time. He could have started this whole thing over, but because of his love for us, he lived it out. He lived out that love. He died it out. He gave his life for us. And, and, the, and the thing that we, we can't forget is that love, the intense love that God had for this world hasn't changed. It's not changed. It hasn't diminished at all. When Jesus left, the love didn't, the love didn't diminish. When Jesus left the earth, God still loves the world. Did you hear that? God is still in love with this world. He loves Las Vegas. God loves this, this city. I mean, with all of its problems, all of the sin, and all of the things that happen in this, in this location, God still loves this city. He loves the people of this city. And this, this intensity hasn't diminished at all. When Jesus went to heaven, the, the intensity of his love didn't diminish, but he changed the way that showed. Because as he left, he said this. He said, I want you now to go into all the world. What world is he talking about? The same world that he loved. He says, now I'm sending you. Jesus' job is done. And now you as my sons and daughters, I'm sending you as my sons and daughters because I love this world so much. I'm sending you to all the world to make disciples, to baptize people. It's our job now. And so the love, the mandate of love now falls and rests squarely on our shoulders. Can somebody say amen to that? So we now have this call that God's given us to love the world. And we see that in the mission statement of our church, which is to win people to Christ, to build disciples, and to send people out into that world to make a difference. Amen. Win, build, sense. So I, I kind of want to get into the practical, the way that looks in ministry, because I'm, I'm pretty sure that if you're here this morning, that you're involved in some way, shape, or form in ministry in the local church. And, and, and I'm sure that shortly after you gave your life to Christ, you realized that you were called to do something. You realized when you gave your life to Christ and you began to walk and serve God, you began to serve in the church, you realized that God had placed a calling on your life, and, 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 and here's the way it works. That's what God does. God calls people. You can look all throughout the New Testament, and God calling people to himself, calling people to do something for God. And, and a lot of times, what well, we can get this weird thing in our minds that, that a calling from God has to be this, like, this like really ultra, super spiritual um, experience where where the phone rings and you pick it up and you're like, hello, and it's, hi. And you're like, who's this? This is God. I've called, you know, we, we, we want this, this really exciting, powerful testimonial. And God does that sometimes. But I, I believe God can call you in the middle of a message. I believe that this morning, some of you can feel the call of God on your life, that God can begin to tug on you because God speaks to people. He prompts people. And he, he, he's, he's encouraging people, and he's challenging people. He's moving people, leading people to do something, to go somewhere, to, 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 to encourage someone. And this is the reason God calls people. God calls people to do things that he wants done. The Bible says that he, he puts it in their heart to establish his purpose. It's, it's his will. The reason that you have the things that, the passion that you have inside of your heart is because God wants to use you to do, do his will, to accomplish his purpose, because God will call those who know him to do something that he wants done. Now, I want to talk about that because, because 
there's several different types of responses that we can have to the call of God in our life. There's several different ways that we can respond to that. We know that God calls people. Every one of you have probably felt some sort of call, maybe to, to lead a small group or to teach a Sunday school class or to, to involve yourself in ushering or working on the media team or whatever the case may be. I think all of us have felt in our lives a calling to do something for God. Now, God's going to call us, and there's, there's several ways that we can respond to that. We can see it all throughout Scripture, and I'm, I'm sure that all of us probably at one point or another have responded in each of these three ways. The first way that we can respond is this. Here I am, I'm not going. Here I am, I'm not going. We get this from the story of Jonah. The Bible says in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, that, that God spoke to, to Jonah and said, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, its wickedness has come up before me. And what did Jonah do? He ran from it. That's right. He said, no way. He says, he, he basically said, here I am, I'm not going. That's what he said. He, he said, God, here I am. I wonder how many times you've had a similar experience like that, where God put something in your heart to do, or God led you to do something. He's moving on your heart to do something, and you felt prompted in your spirit, like, I should do this. I'm, I'm supposed to reach out or I'm supposed to say something, or I'm supposed to help this person, or, and, 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 and we, we know it deep down inside that there's a calling, God's put it on us, and we're like, God, here I am. No. I, I'm not going, not today. I, I'm not doing it. I, I, can, I can remember in my own personal life, countless times, with regret, with regret, where I felt like God put something on my heart, and I didn't do it. Come on, anybody in here that done that besides me? I can, I can remember, we've all done this, where God puts something in our heart to do, he prompts our heart to do something, and we think, I need to? We think, I, I, I'm, I probably should? Here I am, not today. We've all done it. And so what's what Jonah said, he says, here I am, I'm not going. This is one of the responses we can have to the call of God in our life. I think it's probably true. We all had that. We've all done that. Second one is, here I am, send someone else. Here I am, send someone else. And we've all said that we get, this, we get this one. I'm sure you can figure it out. We get this from the story of Moses. Where God calls Moses and says, he says, he says Moses, I'm calling you to deliver my people. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna take them out of Egypt. We're going we're gonna to deliver my people. We can see that in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, that God said, said to Moses, now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. And and here's the thing, Moses would have, would have heard this, like he would have heard this preached if he was sitting in church, that God wants to deliver the people out of Egypt, that God wants to deliver the people out of bondage. If Moses was in church hearing this, he would have been shouting amen. He would have been in 100% agreement that this needed to be done, that God's people needed to be freed. And so God says, Moses, I'm going to use you to do this. And he said, here I am. Send someone else. He says this. Look at his answer. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, he said I'm not good enough, God. He said, he said, he said I, I, I know it should happen. I know it's your will. I know this is, I know this is what, this is a calling out there that should, should go down. But he says, I'm not good enough. He says, I'm not talented enough. Someone else would be better at this than I am. Here I am. Send someone else. That's what Moses said. I'm not the right person. How many of you have done this? God's called you to do something. You know it needs to be done. You've shouted the pastor down when he's preaching about it. 
we need to reach the world and we, we got to give. And, and, and a lot of times it's so easy for us to do this. I'm not going to give. They should give. They have more money than I do. They have less responsibilities than I do. Why should I sacrifice? God, I know you're calling me to do this, but, but hey, they're more qualified to do it. They got more money in their account than I do. They drive a nicer car than I do. They live in a nicer neighborhood than I do. Why are you calling me to sacrifice? Send them. Are you hearing me? I, I'm not going to go. I, I don't have a lot of time. God, you know the hours that I work. You know the responsibilities I have, the kids that I have, all of the, all of the different engagements that I'm supposed to be a part of. God, God, look at, look at that person over there. They've got all the free time in the world. They got laid off last week. Why don't you send, send them? I don't have the time. They got more time than I do. She can do it. He can do it. They're better equipped. I can't do it. I don't have the time for it. Here I am. Send someone else. Jonah says, here I am, I'm not going. Moses says, here I am, send somebody else. Isaiah, though, he prays a very different prayer. And this is the one that I'm encouraging us to do at the Love Conference. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, the Bible says, Isaiah said this. He says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Now, notice what Isaiah did not say back to God. He did not say, so, uh, God, where are you sending me? He, he did not say, is, is the weather nice there? A am I going to get a raise there? It, what's the benefit of me going there? What's the cost of living there? He, he, he didn't ask any of these questions. He, he didn't ask how much vac vacation time am I going to get? What, am, what kind of blessings am I going to receive out of this? He didn't ask for any of that. He basically got a blank contract from God. God says, I want you to go. And he basically signed that contract with no strings attached. And he said these words. He said, here I am, send me. That's what he said. He said, here I am, send me. I want to encourage you this week to begin to make this a daily part of your prayer life. That's where you are, in, in taking, you are taking a page out of Isaiah's book and saying, God, I give you my mind. Lord, this mind that belongs to you, help me to trust you and not my own understanding. God, I give you my eyes. God, protect them from what this world is trying to put in my eyes. Protect them from what the world's trying to put in front of me. God, I want to see you. I want to see you clearly. God, I give you my ears. Lord, help me to hear. I only want to hear your truth. I don't, want to, I don't want to fall victim to the devil's lies. Help me reject what's not true and help me to hear the truth. God, I give you my mouth. This mouth, it belongs to you. I only want to speak what you say. I only want to say what you want me to say. God, here's my hands. Lord, help them to be used to build your kingdom. I want to be the hands and feet. Lord, lead me to where you want me to go. God, help me to accomplish what you want me to do. Isaiah said, here I am. This is what he's saying. Here I am. Send me. And I want to challenge you. Amen. I want to challenge you. And I want to, actually, I want to dare you to this morning. I want to dare you, motivate you to pray a similar prayer where you're saying, God, here I am. Send me. Hello. Is anyone here this morning? Here I am. Send me. Say, in other words, you're saying, God, I'm available to you. you can, you're saying this to God. You're saying, God, you can interrupt me. You, you can, you can my, my agenda can be put up to the side for you. You can interrupt me to do what you've called me to do. God, if you want me to go somewhere, I'll go. If you want me to stay, God, I'll stay. If you want me to say something to somebody, 
I'm going to say it. If you want me to be quiet and pray, then I'll do that. If you want me to give something away, Lord, I'll give two of them away. God, God, if you want me to use my time, God, whatever you want me to do, here I am, send me. Are you ready? I'm completely available to you. This is the prayer we got to have. I'm available to you. Now, here's the thing. I think as I'm preaching this, we all agree. And we all want to be the third response. We all want to say that. We all know that's the right response. We don't want to say, here I am, send someone else. We don't, we don't, want, we don't want to pray that prayer, right? We don't, we don't want to pray that prayer. We want to pray that prayer, God, here I am, send me. We, we know that's right. But the problem is this. When we say that, God's going to interrupt us. God is going to prompt you, and he's going to move upon you. You know why? Because there's a lot that he wants done in this world. Just drive around this city, and you realize, man, there's a lot of work to do here. There's a lot that God wants to accomplish in the city of Las Vegas. And let me tell you something, he needs you to do it. And so God is going to put things on your heart. And here's the thing, we, we all want this. That's why we're here on Saturday morning at the Love Conference. We, we want this. And the question is this, how do we develop an attitude where we love ministry? How do we keep that attitude before God? How do we fully surrender to what God wants us to do? We looked at Isaiah 6, 8. But I want to lead up, I want to look at the verses that lead up to that prayer. Because there's a lot that transpired, I think we can see behind the scenes, that caused Isaiah, that allowed Isaiah to really say, God, here I am, send me. The first thing I think that we need, and you can write this down, is we need to have, excuse me, a genuine experience with God. Somebody say that. We need a genuine experience with God. In Isaiah chapter 6, 1. Isaiah is kind of explaining this whole situation. Before he said, here I am, send me, he's kind of talking about what led up to that. He said this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of this, his robe filled the temple. What happened right here? Isaiah saw the presence of God. He saw God in all of his majesty. Just look at it. He saw God in all of his glory. He saw him highly exalted, and, and we can kind of read on from here, and, and you'll see that Isaiah, he saw angels flying around. He, they were crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and so when, God, when Isaiah saw the presence of God, it transformed who he was. There's something about having a genuine encounter with God. I think we can all agree with that, that when we have an encounter with God, it changes something about us. It changes something inside of us. So the question is this, if you are having trouble saying, here I am, send me, if, if instead your response is, here I am, I'm not going, here I am, not today, here I am, send somebody else, if you find yourself saying that, someone says, hey, I'd like you to minister, I'd like you to, to serve, I'd like you to serve in the nursery, I'd like to do something in Sunday school, I'd like you, if you get a challenge, you feel like God's calling you to, to sacrificially give, and you find yourself saying things like this, uh, let someone else do that. Not today. You find yourself saying that on a repeated basis. Maybe you should ask yourself, what's wrong? I think we got to start with this first question. Is my experience with God right now, is it genuine? We have to have and maintain 
a genuine experience with God. And if you're asking yourself, why am I, why is it that I'm just not into it anymore? Why is it that I, I'm, I'm cool to this whole possibility of being used by God? Why is it that you find yourself not available most of the time? Why is it you're saying, not today, here I am, I'm not going, here I am, send someone else? Maybe it's because you've not recently experienced the presence of God. I think it's something we got to ask, ask yourself, and I think it's something that I constantly at our church, I'm constantly begging our department leaders and volunteers and, 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 and people that are serving in ministry. I'm always telling them, hey, man, get to the front. Get to the front, man. Don't, you know, what can happen to us as leaders is we start feeling pretty important. So we take the posture in the back. You know what I mean? Like somehow we're protecting the church. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm back here making sure everything's cool, making sure everybody's okay, and, you know, I'm constantly back here. But, but, but meanwhile, you're missing out on what's happening here. You're missing out on what God's trying to say from here. You're missing out on, on, on the worship experience that you can have here. Do you remember when you first got saved? You weren't back there observing everything. You were so grateful for your salvation. You found yourself kneeling at an altar, right? You found yourself worshiping God. Why? Because, because, because everything happens out of a genuine experience with God. Can someone say amen to that? Our availability has a lot to do with our proximity. Our availability has a lot to do with our proximity to him. When you, you hear God when you're closer to God, can somebody say amen to that? When you're close to the presence of God, you can, God can reveal himself to you. God wants to reveal himself to you. He, he, the Bible says that if we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. That's just the way it works. And that can happen in your car. We know that. That can happen in the bathroom, on the treadmill. It can happen anywhere. But, but a lot of times that happens in the house of God. But two or more gathered in his name. The Bible says he's there in the midst. Why not jump in? Why not jump in? When you, when, when you suddenly can sense that you, that you are having an encounter with God, it transforms the way you think. When you draw near, he'll draw near to you. Amen. So why is it that you're not avail available to God like you once were? Why is it that you're not serving with the same passion and thrill and excitement as you once were? I think maybe it's a check a checklist as a checkpoint, we could ask ourselves, maybe it's because I haven't had a genuine experience or encounter with God lately. Amen. Number two, second thing that we could see out of this text is that Isaiah was, had a genuine awareness of his sinfulness. I think it's something that we all need to maintain in our lives, a genuine awareness that we're sinners. Hello. We, we are sinners. One of the biggest lies that you can believe, you want to know what it is? Is that you're a good person. This is, this is, Satan likes to tell this lie to Christian people. He likes to tell it to them all the time because, you know, you're not, you're no longer cheating on your spouse. You're no longer, you know, you're not, you're no longer, you know, doing drugs or drinking alcohol, cussing like you used to. You're not stealing from people. You're not talking behind people's back. And so what the devil can begin to kind of slip in and he'll begin to say, you're a good person. You, you, you use that all the time in your brain. You say, well, I'm a, I'm a good person. That's not, that's not God telling you that. That's the devil telling you that. The devil's telling you because, because the truth of the matter is, is all of us, we are horrible, pathetic, evil sinners. Our hearts are wicked. Without Christ, listen, without Christ, we are, we are damned to hell. Are we allowed to say that in church? That's, that's the truth. That's, that's, that is the honest to goodness truth. We, 
We, we are horrible, pathetic sinners. Welcome to PCLV this morning, all right? We're here to make you feel better about yourself. That's, that's what we do. Listen, you're wicked, I'm wicked. That, that's, that's the truth. We're evil sinners, and honestly, in the eyes of God, if God could see who we really are, we remove Jesus from the equation. Listen, listen, we are despicable disgusting in the eyes of God. And here's the truth. When Isaiah saw, was welcomed into the presence of God, when he saw the goodness of God, he realized how awful he was. It's when you get in his presence, you realize how bad you really are. Because now you're not comparing yourself to everything going on out there. Now you're comparing yourself to the righteousness of God. And you don't stand a chance in that. You have no, you have no hope in that. And, and he saw, here's Isaiah, he's in the goodness of God. He's in the glory of God. He saw how holy God was. He noticed his own unrighteousness, and he has this genuine awareness of his sinfulness. And listen to what he says. He says, woe to me. I'm ruined. That's what he said. I'm, I'm screwed. That's what he said. I'm done. I'm nothing. I'm pathetic. I'm a sinner. I've got nothing to offer. He's holy. I'm not what he's saying. He's righteous. I'm unrighteous. He's full of glory. I'm full of sin. This is what Isaiah is doing here. And look at verse five. He says, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips and I'm living among a people of unclean lips. But my eyes have seen the King, the Lord almighty. I want you to remember something. The guy that's saying this is a prophet. This isn't some like dude. This guy's got a book of the Bible in his namesake. He stands in the presence of God and he's aware instantly of how bad he is. How do you think we measure up in the presence of God? This isn't some, this, what does it take to get to that place where you're fully surrendered to the call of God? Where you're able to say, here I am, God, send me. Let me tell you what it takes. It takes a genuine experience with God and it takes a genuine awareness of your sinfulness. Amen. The third thing and last thing, that we must have, is we have to have a genuine understanding of the grace of God. Genuine understanding of the grace of God. When you understand how amazing his grace is, it brings you to a place of full surrender. Look at verse 6. Isaiah said this. He said, then one of the, the angels flew over to me, had a hot coal in his hand, and took it from the, the tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sins are forgiven. Here, here's what happened. So Isaiah's in the presence of God. He realizes how terrible he is. He says, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. But here's what he realized. Just with one touch of the goodness of God, in this situation, it was the coal. But with one touch of the goodness of God, everything was completely forgiven. You can only just imagine this for a second. Here's Isaiah, his lying lips forgiven. His lustful attitudes, gone. Self-centered thoughts, forgiven. Angrous outbursts, which we all have from time to time, forgiven. Every secret sin that he ever had, gone. Obliterated, like they'd never even happened. This is what God does. This is, the, this is the grace that all of us live in every single day. As he takes our sins, he throws them as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says he remembers our sins no more. When, when, when we confess our sins, the Bible says that he is faithful and he's just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. When you understand the grace of God, it changes everything. Guys, it changes the game. 
Are you hearing me today? Come on, wake up this morning. It changes the game. The, the same way that the cold touched Isaiah's lips, it's the same way, just one drop of the blood of Jesus, the love of God, it touches our life, covers our sin. And when we, when we recognize that we don't have anything, when, when we recognize that we don't bring anything, but that Jesus has everything, that Jesus brings everything, this is what happens. We begin to sense the presence of God. Church isn't just something that you do. All of a sudden, church becomes an opportunity that we have to meet with God. We begin to come into the house. We sense his presence. And when we sense the presence of God, it reminds us of how sinful we actually are. It reminds us, man, you, you ever get into a place of worship? You ever, ever see someone in a point of worship, and all of a sudden tears start streaming down their face? Why is that happening? I'll tell you why. Because we realize how far God's brought us. What we don't deserve, he's given us. That's what's happening in worship. The same thing that happened to Isaiah. He got in the presence of God, realized how horrible he was, and then understood the grace of God that forgave him. And when, after he experienced those three things, he made the statement, here I am, send me. A lot of times what happens is this, and I got to close. A lot of times what happens to us is this, as we get into ministry, and we're into ministry for a length of time, and a lot of times we're, we're, maybe we're getting ready for church, and I know what that's like. I've got three kids of my own. I know what it's like to work hard all day long and then realize I got to be at church. I got I to I serve tonight. I'm, uh, I'm doing something in the service, and I, can, I know what it's like to have that feeling kind of like, oh, dude, I got to serve tonight. I got to usher tonight. I got to teach Sunday school tonight. I know what it's like to, to think that way. And it's very easy to, for that to become very robotic in our response to ministry. I'm not saying that we can't feel that way, and those aren't natural feelings. What I'm saying is, is those become habits, too. Pretty soon, all of a sudden, ministry is not a passion. It's a job. It becomes something that we, it's like, it's like getting up for work on Monday. It's a drag. Listen, serving Jesus, ministering, loving, is never supposed to be a duty. It's supposed to be a desire. It's not something that we've got to do. It's something that we get to do. We're participating in the grand scheme of, of God's love for this world. And God's included us. Can you imagine the, think about how amazing that is. That somehow you've been included in the plan of God for this world. That God handpicked you. And so you know what? I'm going to send this person to love in my place. Have you ever thought about the enormity of that? And here's the thing. This isn't a one-time decision that you make and you come to an altar, here I am, send me. That's, we've all done that. It's a daily decision that every day we say, God, here I am, send me. The problem with it is this. There's a war going on inside of you. There's a war happening inside of you. It's a war between your flesh and your spirit. Your spirit, let me tell you what your spirit wants to do. Your spirit wants to serve. Your spirit wants to love. Your spirit with everything inside is saying, here I am. It's like your spirit man in there. Is here I am, send me. This is, this is it. You know, pick me, pick me. That's what your spirit is doing. And your flesh is saying, no. You don't have time. You can't afford it. It's not worth it. You're going to get hurt. Your flesh is saying those things. And so there's this war going on inside of you. So how do we learn to daily choose our spirit over our flesh? 
I'll tell you, very simple. You guys ready for this? What you feed grows. What you starve dies. And so every single day, we have an opportunity to make a decision to feed one or the other. We have the opportunity to feed one another. Our flesh is saying all the time, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. That's what my mom used to tell me every time I was in a store. I'd be like, give me, give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. You know what I mean? She would, she would kind of say that. And, and, and what our flesh is saying, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's what I want, what makes me feel good. And, and I'm not going to do that. My life is too important. I'm too valuable. I don't have time to make a difference. Somebody else can do that. And when we buy into that, we are feeding our flesh. And the more we feed our flesh, the bigger it gets. The louder it gets. Are you hearing me this morning? But your spirit is there. And if you deny your flesh, if you push that, you slap that flesh around and you deny it, and you feed your spirit, how do you do that? Well, you get in the presence of God like Isaiah did. You understand who you are, that you're a sinner. And then you understand the grace of God, and you begin to get in the presence of God, and you're seeking God, and you're, and you're in his word, and you're growing spiritually, and you're in a small group, and, and you're serving where you can, and you're sharpening one another, and you're using your spiritual gifts. Let me tell you something. When you're doing all of that, you're, you're feeding your spirit. And the bigger your spirit gets, the louder it gets. And the louder your spirit gets, the more you're going to want to show love to this world. Because that's what your spirit wants. That's what your spirit wants. Are you, are you hearing me today? The Apostle Paul, that's why he said, I die daily. If we can take a page out of his book. Something that we all need to do. I die daily. It means I'm dying to my flesh every single day so that Christ will live through me. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I'm crucified with Christ, but nevertheless, I live. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm killing my flesh, but my spirit is all the more alive. That, that, that's what he's saying. He says, I no longer live. My flesh is no longer alive, but now it is Christ that lives in me. Because when we experience the presence of God, when, when we're aware of our own sinfulness, when we experience the forgiveness of God, even though we don't deserve it, we have no other choice than to respond with this, I'm in. I'm in, 100%. When, you, when you've experienced the goodness of God and been forgiven about, of your sins, there, you have no other choice. There's, there's no other response that even makes sense other than God send me. I'm all yours. Lord, take my life. And so why is it that we don't pray this prayer? Why, why is it that we're fearful of this. I'll, I'm going to just do it quickly, but I remember is, there was a song that, that my mom and I used to sing because my dad loves Africa so much, and uh, he would go periodically to Africa, and, and uh, he actually took pictures of houses and was thinking about moving us there to join Billy Hall, you know, and uh, um, we, there was this song that came out in Christian, Christian uh, circles, and it was called, uh, I don't remember what the name of it was, but it went like this, please don't send me to Africa. I don't think I've got what it takes. I'm just a man. I'm not Tarzan. Don't like giant, uh, don't like, I don't know. Don't like giants, gorillas or snakes. So I'll just sit right here in suburbia with my comfortable middle-class life. So please don't send me out into the bush where the, 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 the tigers, they get us at night or something like that. There was like, it was a song that we used to sing. And the problem is, is a lot of times I think what, what happens is, is we, we're afraid to say, here I am, send me, because that's what's in our mind. And somehow, you know, God's going to send us to the, and we, and we know that God can do that, all right? We can see, we have got living proof that God could do that in your life, okay? 
But the truth is he probably won't. He's probably going to start with your neighbor. He's probably going to start with the person that you work with every single day. Probably going to start with, with, with somebody in your family. He's going to send you there. And, 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 and so maybe, maybe, maybe we could kind of get the fear out of our, our mind for a little bit that, that, that oftentimes we think that God's got this really big, big thing that God, he's calling us to do, and we're scared of that. But here's the, here's the thing. It's usually not some really big thing. It's a bunch of little things. It's just the little things. It's the little steps you take, the, the one person that you talk to, and the, the, the way that you love your family, and, and the way that you serve at church, and the different things that you do. It's all of these little things. But here's the truth, and what I found to be true in my life is all of those little things end up being the big thing. We're sitting in the car driving over here today, just talking, grateful for what God's allowed our lives to experience. And I realize it's all the little decisions that we made to do what's right, to say yes to God, to say I'm available. All of those decisions have brought a life that I can't begin to tell you how amazing it is. And my, my heart for you this morning is, is, is not just to get you to do a bunch of stuff for God. My heart is for you to experience everything God has for you. It's what your pastors want. And sometimes it can seem self-serving that if you give and sacrifice and go and preach and share and bring people to church, that somehow it seems self-serving coming from a pastor. That's what we want you to do. You can understand that. I can see how the devil could lie to you. But what I can tell you from experience in my own life, that when you do those little things, it's actually the big thing. Like the Bible says, when you're faithful in little, God will give you much. And we think that that's like a one-time deal. I'm just going to be faithful in this little thing. And then, then God's going to somehow, he, you know, it's like, I, if I just give my tithe, I'll win the lottery. That's kind of how we think. That's not what it's, that's not what the scripture's saying. It's saying just when you're faithful, in other words, it's daily, it's, it's what your decision, the way that you live. When you, when you, when you're faith in little, all of a sudden you'll wake up and go, oh my God, look at what God's given me. And that's my heart for you. That's a heart for, for, for ministry. So you'll love the ministry and you'll feed your spirit, man. No telling what God could do in and through your life. Amen. It's 11.10. I got to go. God bless you. I'll see you tonight. All right. Man, what a bonus. What a bonus. I, I get to be with you guys and two of the most favorite guys in my life, Adam and Pastor Carl, man. You guys yeah, I told the Lord this morning, I said, it doesn't get much better than this, Lord. Really, meeting you folks. And uh, I know Pastor Carl is just sharing something last night he, about our church and the problem in the church. And Adam is telling us what our problem was. Amen. People come to church and expect to find Jesus, and he's not there. Got a lot of folks talking about him, got people singing to him and everything, but he's not there. He hadn't been invited. That's why we praise God. We praise God because praise is the welcome back for Holy Spirit. Looking for a place to land. Whoa, you saw Malcolm Matt in front of PCLB. There's a good place to land. Hallelujah. That's why we have church here like this, folks. It's not because it's a pattern or something. It's because we want to invite the Lord in this house, amen, and in our lives. And, 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 and you know, I, I, I'm just so excited about this, you know, waiting to get here. Oh, my goodness. 
It went about two, three months waiting to get here. And I kept talking to the Lord. I said, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Is today the day? You know, sometimes the days just all run in together. You know, I wake up, okay, Lord, what day is it? What am I supposed to do today? Where am I supposed to be? You know, because <laughs> we get so caught up in life, you know, and uh, God wants us caught up in life, but he, that's why he's got us as lights in this world, salt in this world, to season and flavor some lives, show some folks the right way. And so as, as we're talking about this, this time, I'm, I'm just remembering a wedding. Marriage, you know, and, and I remember how it it rocked my world. It rocked my world, man. I, I, I my my whole life changed, and, and I've been married several times, several times. But but this one wedding day, we're gonna talk about that this morning. I'm so glad the clock's right there. I keep my eye on it. I do get carried away. I have a I have a record for getting carried away here a little bit, because when you know Jesus. <laughs> Life is just a little bit radical, and you want to get loose. You want to get loose because he's a radical God. Everything he does is radical. He lives, dreams, sleeps. Uh, he's always never sleeps. He's always outside the box. That's what keeps him exciting and fascinating. That way, that's what makes you want to just imitate him and be like him. And he was reminding me of that as we were talking about the Saturday morning message. I remember the first marriage. Man, my Jesus, my marriage to Jesus rocked. Ah, that's what he called the name of this sermon. My Jesus, the marriage that rocks. Hallelujah. My, my first marriage was at 17, and I married the U.S. Constitution. I joined the Marines, hallelujah, and man, I was off, I was off to Vietnam for my wife. Huh? I was faithful. I'm a Marine, always faithful. Hey, dude, you're going in the fight. Oorah! I get up in the morning, where's the fight? Where's the fight? If there's not a fight, I'll make a fight. <laughs> yeah, I, and I was just wearing to go. I was a, I hate bullies, man. I'm a little guy. My whole world was getting beat up by big bullies, man. And now I got an equalizer, an M16 in my hand. <laughs> Bring it on now. We are going to go to Vietnam and rock, man. Well, it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. In two and a half years in combat, I came back and messed up in my head my mind, and, and so I got married out of emotion. Hmm? That marriage happened about 20, 20 years old, and that ended both in prison. Well, it didn't end too well, but it led me to my next marriage. And he said, my third marriage was with Jesus. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. In that prison cell with nine life sentences, I'm a dead man. Talk about knowing your wickedness. I knew I was wicked. Every morning they let us out of that cage for one hour of sunlight a day, each day. 
and they said dead men walking. Everyone on that row was a dead man. Had at least one sentence. I had nine, which meant I didn't get buried six feet. I got buried 54 feet deep. One night in that cell, God showed me who I really was. Not who I said I was. Well, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as that guy. I mean, I did a few good things. I did a good thing over here. One time I remember, oh, no. I'm going to tell you what you did. You was a little boy, you did this. You a liar, you a cheat. You see, I saw everything you did those two and a half years in Vietnam. I was standing right there. Every time, Billy, I saw what you did. I heard what you said. I saw those bodies fly like rag dolls. Those people you killed, I made them in my workshop in heaven. I made each one. And you killed him. Oh, God. All my excuses, they just melted away. God, I got nothing. I got nothing. I am so undone, man. Not only am I going to die here, an old man shriveled up in the corner of this cell, but there's something bad awful on the other side. And I'm not ready for that, God. Please, please do something. When that connection made, when that connection was made with my wickedness, and that terror and shame, embarrassment, and nakedness before God, yeah, I was undone. He opened the door. This ocean of love came racing into my life and blew out all the walls that separated me from him. Destroyed my past like a hurricane come through. Blew everything out the door, man. Flushed it down this big toilet. It's all history, Billy. I love you, man. I made you. I made you, man. I made you my boy. You're my son. But 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 I, I did all that. That's history. I don't even remember what you've done now, Billy. You done confessed it, repented of it. It's history. It can't even be proven anymore. Your sins I'll remember no more forever. As far as the east is from the west, that's a long ways. Huh? So far have I removed your transgressions from you. We're married now. Those are the vows. And that water, it kept rising. I was drowning in that love. You know, some folks say they don't want that. They don't want that marriage. They don't want that wedding. They come to the altar. They come to an altar for a Jesus aspirin. Oh, got a headache. I got something bad awful happening in my family. I need a Jesus aspirin, man. Lord, just come and, come and help me out now. Get me through this bad thing. 
And we come out of it and we give him the back. We're gone. Oh, we're just putting our little, little toe in the shallow end of the pool. We taste a little bit of his love. A little drop will do me right now. We don't want the deep end. We don't want to jump in that deep end. Oh, I feel it too. I feel it this morning. You got some folks ready for the deep end. Yeah. yeah. And we got to do this. We're doing it all in. And I want over my head love. I want to drown in this stuff, Lord. This is so good. This is so sweet. I, I, I was so afraid it was going to slip away, and, 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 and it was so awkward for me. Because here I am so wicked, and, and you're going to love me? How can you love me? I don't even love myself. Beat me, slap me, kick me, punch me, but don't love me. Breaks my heart. And that's the key. You will never know the perfect love of God until you let Him break you. He gotta break us, folks. Come on, you gotta let Him break you. You gotta lose your excuses. You gotta throw the band-aids off, man. You gotta let Him lay you out and show you the way He sees you. When you see yourself through the eyes of God, you'll be so embarrassed, so ashamed, so undone. Just like Isaiah saw himself. Huh? And we got to get to that place, folks. We got to get to that place where we realize we are dirt plus God. And that means without God, we just dirt. And that, that ain't nothing to brag about. Come on, you ain't got nothing to brag about. Scientists distilled a body and discovered that that body was made up of a composition of dirt. All the chemicals in our body are found in dirt. And so these scientists took that, that dirt and, and they measured the value of all those minerals that were in the body. One human body, it came out to about 98 cents. Oh, that don't make you too valuable, huh? Come on, that'll bring you, dial, dial that, that pride back a little bit here. You'll find out who you really are, what your value is. And then you equate that to one drop of God's blood. And what he did on the cross, that's how I got married to the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 54, the Bible tells us that God's our husband. I'm going to read those, those verses. You can read them up on the screen for your, your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. Guys, we got a problem with that. Because we are so locked into gender. How's God going to be my husband, man? Hey, I, I, don't, I don't do that, Billy. I don't do that. That's not me, man. No, 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 no. We forget 
that God made men and God made women. And they were made in his image. So he's bigger than gender. He's God. And how else are you going to learn how to be a husband? Unless you've got a model. And what better model do you have than Jesus? He's the one that makes you know how to be a husband. And so this, this, this time of brokenness that came into life led me to the next marriage. And that was the grand marriage of my warrior queen. My warrior queen. Yeah, I was, oh my goodness, how old was I? I was, tw- I was 37 when I married my warrior queen. What a lady. What a lady. You know, some women, they have this kind of ministry as a warrior queen. They, they, they tend to act almost like a man. They, they get some masculine uh, thing going on with them, feeling that authority. And, they, and, and, and yet other women, when they get that authority, they still keep their ladyhood. My pastor's like that. He's got authority, but still, she still walks like a lady. And my wife is like that too. She fights. She's a scrapper. She's a scrapper, man. She's looking for a fight too. I guess that's why it took me 12 years to find her in Ethiopia in the underground church. She'd been a scrapper since she was a little girl. Boys tried to mess with her. She broke a desk over this boy's head. She's a little rowdy. God says, you you two will get along real good. (laughs) This, this is marriage to me. And, And God, in his word, shows us the bridegroom passionately seeking his bride, working with man just like a bridegroom in love pursuing his bride. Genesis to Revelation is all about God trying to capture us with his love. And how some people took the love and and threw the love away. Took the love, threw it away. Coming and going, coming and going. Going through a door that just was swinging both ways. But Jesus stayed the same. I remember, oh, we got to stay, stay close. Stay close for this because I'm, I'm like, slow that clock down, man. What happened? They speed it up on me now. No. Okay, we're going to roll now here. Till death do us part. We will never die. So we'll never be apart. But there's something in us that has to die. Our old man. Our old man, the old city, the old way of doing things. It's got to die. And it died when the ocean came in and and blew it out the door. and, and, And there was a new beginning. I love that about God. He gives us a new beginning. What a great husband. What a great love of our life. He's always given us a new beginning. We mess up. He gives us repentance. 
Every repentance is a new beginning, guys. Yeah, because we're not, we're not just sorry that we, we got caught. Sorry that we got found out. No, no, no. We're sorry because we broke his heart. God, I, I broke your heart, man. You were standing right there. You were listening to that thought in my mind that I didn't even speak. Because you're God, you see everything. I got no clothes. I got no excuses. I'm done. Adam says, I'm screwed. I mean, I got nowhere to go. I got no wiggle room here. And then the Lord is saying, it's okay. I got you covered. I paid the price. I paid the price for that. Now you just. Quit, quit doing that. Hang with me. Come on. Be yoked with me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. How are you going to learn of me? By falling down and then getting back up again and falling down and getting back up again and falling down and not wanting to get back up. Because you say, what's the use, God? I'm just going to fall down again. Why get up? You got one more round in you, Billy. You got one more round. Come on now, son. I made you. I made you. I didn't make you a failure. I made you a winner, man. Don't quit. I hear the Holy Ghost whisper, no pain. No pain. No pain. No pain. Get up! Get up! Get up again. You know, folks, if we never got up when we fell down, we'd never be walking today. We'd still be crawling. You have to get up. You're going to learn to walk. So here we are, ready for the grand adventure of discipleship. This is the second point. You get married first, and now you're ready for the fight. Grab a weapon and stand a post. I'm not talking about just showing up for church, man. I'm saying grab a weapon and stand a post. You are in combat. It's not la-la land. This is combat. This is good and evil. And you're the good side. You're going to win in the end because you read the back of a book. You know how it all shakes out, Billy. Come on. You can look beyond your problems and see heaven. The angels beckon me to heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Yeah. I see heaven out there. And I can go through the hard times. I can get the bloody nose, the busted arm, the, the cracked kneecap, and staggering. Getting wounded and have to sit on the bench for a while and, and get healed. This last year, been a fight. Four cancers, one ran after the other. Melanoma, kidney cancer, prostate cancer, colon cancer. 
Boom, 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 boom. Melanoma, cut it off. Kidney cancer, well, cut that right kidney out. I don't need, I can use this one. I only need one anyway. Prostate cancer, cut that prostate out. I don't need that. I'm past those years now anyway. I need to get in the fight. I don't want to be on my back. You get in both me in combat to lay down on my back. Cut it out. Colin, cut that off, splice it back together again. I got nine feet of it. I can, I can lose six inches. I want to get back in the fight. We board in combat, folks. We live in combat. And we will die in combat. It is the greatest glory of a warrior to die on the battlefield. We don't run from the fight. We run to it. Isn't that right, Robert? Come on. Bring it on, devil. You messing with the wrong Marine here. Come on. I'm coming after you. I run you out of my life. I'm going to run you out of their life, too. Somebody needs somebody to back them up with you, Lord. I'm Show, show me who I, can, who I can work with, who I can pray for, who I can meet, who I can be with and remind them who they really are. They're a masterpiece of God. A masterpiece. Where's Cookie at? Uh-huh. You're a masterpiece, Cookie. There ain't no plan B. There ain't no backup. You are the plan. You. God knows us, folks. And when we see people, we need to see them through the eyes of God, the way God sees them. And you can only do that when you've clicked, connected to his love. When you connect to God's love, it comes in you, blows everything out, and it's so big it, you can't contain it, so it flows out of your life into people's love. You can't help it. It just does. You don't have to try to be a good Christian. You don't have to try to be saved. You don't have to try to do good stuff. You know, when I was a sinner, I woke up in the morning and I and I didn't say, Billy, you gotta be a good sinner. Better be a good sinner. Gotta do bad stuff, gotta curse, gotta treat people nasty, gotta lie, cheat, steal, kill. No, no, no. I didn't get up thinking like that. It was the most natural thing for me to do. <laughs> I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of it all. I'm not proud. I'm glad it's all gone. Because I got hooked up with his perfect love. Hallelujah. And so I, I get up in the morning. I don't got to, I'm not saying, oh, Lord, help me love everybody. Help me love this person that's messing with me so bad. And, and help me love this one that wants to kill me. And, and help, help me love this one. And no, I don't worry about loving. Because when I meet that person, I see him through God's eyes. I don't see the, the old man. I see the little boy 
that was created on heaven's workshop table by the hand of God. I know his creator. He's my daddy. He's my husband. And so I start seeing people the way he sees them, and I start loving folks the way he loves them. And it's the most natural thing because it's him flowing in and through us. Our ministry to others is a ministry from God, the overflow from our ministry to God. And it's all God doing that work. We're the branch in the vine, man. You know that branch in the vine, that apple tree? The tree's not saying, that apple out, guys. Come on, help me now. Let me get that apple out. Isn't saying that. That life just flowing through that branch. And he's there just popping apples. Popping apples out, huh? See, the life is in the vine. It's not in the branch. The, li the life is in the vine that's flowing through the branch and producing fruit. When you are hooked with Jesus' love, fruit happens. You've got nothing to do with it. Do you know what your part is? The branch's part. Just surrender. Surrender and get out of God's way. Don't try to help him out. Just get out of his way and let him be God. You, ride, you just slide right over in your vehicle and ride shotgun. Get your seatbelt securely fastened and your seat in its upright position and stand by. Because your master, your lord, your king, your hero is behind the wheel. He's driving and he knows the way, even though it seems like it's not the right way. He knows the way through the desert, knows the way through the fire, knows the way in the wilderness, knows the way in the water, knows the way in the heavens. He knows the way. He is the way and the truth and life. So who's in a better place to be the Lord of my life, to guide and direct me? That's, that's an easy choice, folks. It is a choice, like Pastor Adam said, a choice to love you, God. So throw my life, lay my life in your hand. Throw it away in your hand. Because that's the safest place to be. The hand of God. Lulier is in the hand of God. That's why I'm not sweating bullets that she's still in Ethiopia. Fighting that fight of faith as a warrior queen. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for Ethiopia. I'm afraid for those folks, man. I'm afraid for the devil there. He's working overtime. That woman there is giving him headaches, man. She is a terrorist of hell. She's one of hell's most wanted right now. Bring her down. I ain't going to go after her, man. Send somebody else. Send somebody else, devil. Don't send me. No demon in hell wants going after this woman. Got stories in hell about last time they went after her. They're still talking about her. Yeah. That's my warrior queen. That's my girl. My wife. And I know her daddy. She's his daughter before she's my wife. And she sees me as God's son before she sees me as her husband. That's why she's in Ethiopia, not because she wants to, but because she loves God. 
God have me there? And God's got me here, laid up. But I'm on the bed, Al. Billy, you're on the bench. You're not in the bleachers. You're not in the nosebleed section. You're on the bench, man. You're not out of the fight. You're sitting on the bench, man. We can send you back in, so stop it. We do it together, folks. Real quick, two minutes. Two minutes, I got to wrap this up, man. Staying the course, the last point. How do we stay the course with this? How do we stay the course? It's not enough to start good. We got to finish well. So along the way, we stay intimate with God by having dates with him. Now I talk to you about having dates with the Lord. We got a date. Every day we got three dates. I got a date for breakfast. We do breakfast together. And then we do lunch. We got to do lunch together tonight, today too, this afternoon. And we got to do dinner. I am so excited. I have a date with God. And it's a personal one. All just me and him, man. Me and you, Jesus. Isn't it sweet? I know you got something good for me at lunchtime, too, man. We're, we're going to be reading Jeremiah, and your work in Jeremiah's life is going to be good. And, and dinner time, dinner time is one of my favorite letters, Colossians, all about you, Lord. And every time we talk and I listen to him read his love letter to me, he comes alive and fresh and new, and, and I'm looking across the table. Kind of the way Art looked at Marie the other day. You guys first met? Oh, yeah, he's looking. He's looking. Oh, yeah. I see the fire burning here. Come on. The way we look at those that we love passionately, when we have dinner, lunch, and breakfast with Jesus, that's what we're doing. We're remembering where he took us from. He brought me in from the fields of sin with the hand of mercy he brought me in just look out yonder where i have been oh i praise god he brought me in 43 years, Lord. Our scrapbook is full of memories. Take a run through your scrapbook. Spend some time with him for lunch today. You need a calendar? I got a calendar of all the dates, all the breakfast, lunch, and dinner dates for you already set up. Menu is already set there. The scripture's different every morning. You want one of those, you talk to Pastor, Pastor Art. He'll get you one. That dinner date, that lunch and breakfast date is what keeps you connected to God's love. Keeps that love flowing in and through you, causing you to love people the way Jesus loves them, to serve the way Jesus serves, to live the way Jesus lives. And it'll help you all the way to the end. And it gets better and better. Pastor used to say, gooder and gooder. Remember that? 
it gets gooder and gooder, man. And the banana that leads the bunch gets eight. So, brother, you just got to cut the mustard, man. Cut the mustard. Dive off in the deep end. And let his love swallow you up. Pastor Paul, God bless you, buddy. Let's stand to our feet for a minute. Let's stand to our feet. Isn't that, you know, I have really enjoyed um, being here. I can't tell you how much. Um, but I do have one bone to pick with you, Pastor Art. Uh, oh, thank you. Um, why in the world do you have me preaching after Billy Hall? <laughs> I mean, there's a limit. Amen. Isn't he amazing? Yeah. Hallelujah. <clears throat> The perfect speaker for this conference, I can tell you for sure. And while we're standing just a moment, I know tonight is going to be amazing. Uh, you're going to want to be here. And, of course, Sunday, what God's going to do, uh, it's, it's, it's a blessing. Amen. So let's take a bit of a stretch. What do you say? Can you endure through one more message? Can you do it? All right. I'm going to keep it really, 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 really short uh, so that uh, everybody gets to have that lunch date as Billy was talking about. You can be seated, and uh, we're going to get in the, the Word this morning a little bit. Uh, I will be in Isaiah. I will be in the 61st chapter. Uh, many of you will be familiar with those particular words, uh, and I want to take a, a, a bit of time with them because it really uh, speaks to what I'd like to say this morning. So yesterday, uh, last night rather, uh, we ministered and we dealt with three words. How many of you can remember those three words? What was the first word? Belong, Belong wasn't it? Yeah, that, that's right. What was the second word? Believe. After we belong, then we can expect believing. And then the third word was to behave. That just kind of flows out of that. And it's amazing how that's all tied together <clears throat> in much of the ministry that happened today. But, um, you know, Everything that we've been talking about, everything we've been speaking about uh, deals with us, right? In other words, the love of God for us, and then that is perfected as it comes out of us. God's done his part. Now the love continues, but it's continuing through you and I. Uh, problem being that we're living in the last days. Problem being that um, the intensity of the opposition is so intense right now that it is almost disorienting. We look at the wickedness of our world, the darkness of our world, and it is, can be overwhelming for us. We look at sin, the, 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 the direction of our nation, the direction of our school system, the direction of our government, the direction of, of, of every, every aspect of society, and it's getting darker and darker and darker. Do you agree with that? I mean, I, that, I, I'm sure people might have different opinions, but from my perspective, I'm, I'm a 68-year-old man. Uh, I cannot believe the, the degeneration of our society. It's amazing. And so we can look at that as a negative, or we can look at that as a positive. It's now our choice. Darkness is, is, uh, uh, seems to be uh, trying to push out the light. But let me, let me tell you something that, that I have found out. The darker it gets, 
the brighter light becomes. And so Isaiah 61 is where I'm going to read, and uh, maybe you'd read along with me with your Bible if you have it open, or if not, your, your uh, electronic device. Uh, and I'm going to read it out of the New King James Version. Um, and uh, there is a, uh, one of the most beautiful uh, prophetic scriptures that you're ever going to find. How many of you know what prophecy is? Prophecy is talking about a time in the future, right? So, so this is a prophetic word from the mouth of Isaiah. It says this, Arise, chapter 60, verse number 1, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen. What's it say? Upon you. And the Gentiles shall come to your light, and the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be first at your side. Verse 22 of that same. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong. I, the Lord, hasten it in its time. I'd like to just read that again with you. Can I, can I do that? Can I just read that scripture again with you? Again, can I just, if we could just put it into our heart, um, uh, lean into what God's trying to us to say. Uh, a prophetic word speaking about a time to come. You and I are the agents of this prophecy. This is prophecy. This is inspired speech talking about you and me. He says, arise. Who's he talking to? Yeah. Arise and do what? Shine. And the reason is our light has come and the glory of the Lord, which is that light, is now being reflected upon you. For behold, prophetic word, the darkness is going to cover the earth and then a deeper darkness over the people, but the Lord will arise upon who? Upon you. And his glory will be seen upon who? Well, upon us. And the Gentiles will be drawn to come to your light and the king to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Verse 22, a little one shall become a thousand, and a small one, a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its appropriate time. What a word. So I want to deal with three words again this morning. There are three different words. Maybe you could repeat them after me, and I know I'll jump all around in this particular message, guys, so I'll do the best I can. But the three words are intentional. The first word I want to look at, would you say that word with me? Intentional. Second word is relational. Maybe you could say that with me, relational. And the third word is sensational. Maybe you'd say that word. They're up on the screen for you. Intentional. Let's say them together intentional, relational, sensational. Now, I want to speak these words out 
because they are our mission statement. And of course, all of us here today would know that mission statement. Pastor Art has that mission statement burned in his mind and in his soul. I do too. It was something that was burned into my soul by my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, in a supernatural encounter that I had with him in a living room just down the road from here in Kingman, Arizona. There the gods, God spoke to me about winning one, building one, and, and the way God showed it to me, releasing one. Of course, your, your statement here is send one, which is the same thing, only in a little different understanding that not everyone is called to the nations of the world. Some are called uh, to be used of God here locally. Win one, build one, release one. God showed it to me out of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 2, where there's this thought that, 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 that is spoken that uh, uh, Second Timothy says that, that um, uh, what does it say there? Come on. And the things, there it is. Thank you for that. The things that you have heard from me or learned from me amongst many people, I want you now to deposit those same things to other faithful people for the purpose that then they can the game off the bench, if you will, as Billy would speak it, and you would also begin to teach others also. Now, do you see that? that this is a generational thing. This is more people that are involved. What I've learned, what your pastor's learned, he's going to find faithful individuals to deposit that into their heart for the purpose of then them getting involved and getting other people uh, uh, to teach that same truth to so that then they, they can go out and do greater things with that. And so from that encounter that I had from God when he revealed this to me and called me into the ministry, I understood that my calling was to leave my comfortable existence, to say, here I am, Lord, send me, and I was to respond to that. I did just that because I wanted to impart what God had shown me to other faithful individuals. And now there's a validation of ministry. The validation of my ministry is not how big it grows and it's not the same, it's the same thing with every one of you. Doesn't matter, that validation's not how big a ministry goes, but the, uh, the, uh, the uh, validation, not how you rise, but how many you rise up with you. There's the validation of your ministry. It's not you, it's what you can do for other people in your life. It's like Scotty Pippen, if you will, or Michael Jordan, if you back in the day. They said Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player that ever lived. You can argue that if you want to, but it was Michael Jordan that made Scotty Pippen a star. In other words, he was not just good, he made everybody else on that team good. You take him out of the mix, they weren't quite the same. And so that's what ministry is all about today. It's not about the guy with the microphone. It's about the guy with the microphone raising people up to be uh, 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 what, what they, all they can be. And so we, this ministry, PCLV, was birthed out of a mandate. And that mandate was intentional relational, and now we're getting to the point of sensational. The intentional is a new way of saying win one. What we're talking about is intentional soul winning. Say that with me, intentional soul winning. Isaiah 60 and 1, under our text today, he says, arise. Now, he's not talking to just anybody. He's talking about you. 
and it's a command that's given. He said, arise and shine, for your light has come. Who's our light? Well, it's Jesus. Amen. And when you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, uh, then you are now to arise. This is a direct call for action. It is called for personal involvement. This is not talking about just the minister or the preacher. It's talking about you. Arise in the Hebrew says uh, means to stand up, to raise oneself, to persist. And so literally it's a command to you. The word shine in the Hebrew means to be illuminated so that you can bring light, forth light. And so it's not like an electrical cable that's going through you. It's a reflected light that comes from you. These are action words. Nobody can do this for you. You have to arise and position yourself so that you reflect the light of Jesus Christ in your life. This can only happen when you prioritize your life around Jesus. It's the only way it happens. You have to position yourself. This is in direct contrast to what most of Christianity is today. Church does not happen on Sundays. Come on, are you with me here? Can we, can we do this? It does not just happen on Sundays. That's not what church is. Church, folks, um, it is not a building. It doesn't happen in a building. It happens in the marketplace of life. That's where Christianity is to be worked out. That's why the word church in the Greek is ecclesia, meaning called out ones. It's not a building. It's not where, where people meet together only. It's us together reflecting the light of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, do all things without complaining and, disrupt and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the middle of a crooked and perverse world among whom you shine as lights holding fast the word of truth. Now, if you look at that scripture, what he's saying is you and I have to position ourselves. Uh, we're to arise, uh, uh, we're to uh, do everything that we do in such a fashion uh, that when when people see us, uh, they say this is a good person and that they're harmless uh, and they're blameless uh, in the world. And so in the middle of a crooked and perverse world, we stand out. We're not like the world. We stand out uh, and reflect that. And then he actually says, so that we understand we're a light in the middle of the darkness of our world. We are called to do more than just go to church. We are to live as the body of Christ here on this earth. Uh, what that means is each one of us have to take personal responsibility for the salvation that God has granted to us. And so our lifestyle matters. Our attitude matters. Yeah, uh, how we prioritize our time matters. What we do with our finances, uh, it really does matter. Uh, it matters because now we'll either reflect uh, the glory of God, uh, the values of God, or we'll reflect uh, what the world sees. Uh, and you and I don't want to do that. Uh, we want to stand out as a testimonial of what God can do in the life of a person. Our world is in desperate need and people are desperately looking for a better way of doing life. That's the reason they hang out in the bar. They're looking for something, folks. 
And you and I have to stand out. That's what we've got to do. People should know on your job that you are not the same as they are. That you have positioned yourself to reflect the light of God in everything. When we acknowledge God, he begins to direct our paths. We're to be a positive people. Amen? We are to be an honest people, a kind people, a moral people. You and I have to intentionally live our life out uh, so that we are positioned uh, to reflect uh, uh, the glory of God. And let me tell you what happens when you are a light, people are drawn to you. As a youngster, I was trying to get some fishing done. And my, my dad, the only person I really enjoyed fishing with was, was him. And we always would go out at night, you know, we'd fish, and sometimes there were no fish. And I'd tell him, Dad, there's no fish in this lake. And he said, oh, yeah, son, there's fish in this lake. We just got, haven't caught them yet. He says, I'll show you. And he takes out a flashlight. He just puts it down into the water. And you wait a few moments, and there's fish all, all in that light uh, swimming around. And he says, there's lots of fish in this lake, and they're drawn to the light. Now, that's illegal to fish that way, amen. But, but, but the point is, whenever there's light, people are drawn to it. And so it's our text, it says uh, in verse 2, For behold, the darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness will cover the people, but the Lord will arise over you. And his glory will be seen, well, upon you. And the Gentiles will be drawn to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Folks, I want to tell you something. How do you win people? Well, you intentionally live your life in such a way that people look at you and say there's something different about that individual. They're honest. They do not steal. They don't lie. They, they, they fess up when they make a mistake. There's something about those people. Now, listen to me. You can do this. I was looking for an Amen. You can do this. I'm not talking about rocket science here. You may think, well, you know what? I, you don't understand me. I have got issues. Yeah, so do I. Amen. We've all got them. But when we get up in the morning and we have breakfast with Jesus, things begin to change. Can you say amen to that? You and I can do this. This is intentionally living our life for a purpose greater than ourself. The testimony of Jesus and how he forgave us needs to be ready to go out of our lips when people come, not preaching it at them, but when they come saying, what is it about you? Well, let me just tell you what it is. I had a marriage with Jesus, hallelujah, and he changed my life. Your testimony is powerful. You might think, oh, no, I didn't have all those 24 life sentences or whatever that Billy had. Well, so neither did I. Amen. I was just a businessman. That's all I was. I, I got no uh, major, uh, you know, shooting it up or gang members or killing folks or none. I never did any of that. But my testimony, I found out, is powerful. It's different than yours, uh, and yours is different from the guy next to you. But God uses them all. Uh, live our life so people open up uh, and we share the light of Jesus Christ with them. The second word we have is relational. We're talking about building one here. What we're talking about is relational discipleship. Can you say that with me? Relational discipleship. Our fellowship is built upon discipleship. In Isaiah 60 and 4, it says, lift up your eyes all around and see. 
They all gather. They come to you. But your sons will come from afar, and your daughters will be nursed at your side. Now, I want you to notice that there are many who are drawn. I bet you if today we were to ask Pastor Art, Sister Maria, how many people have got saved in your ministry? And their answer would be, well, you could fill up this building 50 times on Sunday morning for all the people that have got saved. It's just that they all didn't make it. Some uh, uh, just come for a little while, they fall away. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But it says here in this scripture that some will become sons and daughters, and they will be nurtured at your side. Those are the ones that we really begin to influence uh, their lives. They become like family members. That's because uh, discipleship is not merely educational. It is relational. We have to understand that it embedded in our mission statement is what separates PCLV from all the other churches. I'm not running them down. They're all great. But what makes us different uh, is opportunity that is embedded in our mission statement, uh, and that is this, that we build one so that we can either release them uh, locally or send them uh, out. Uh, we understand the difference is, is that one. Amen. There, in the middle of our mission statement, we could say, well, evangelism is in there. Discipleship is in there. Church planting is in there. Which is the most important one? Well, none of those are. What's important is the one. You're a one. Amen. I'm a one. I want to tell you something. I don't want to be just a, a number that God evangelized or discipled. I want to be somebody to someone else, and so do you. You, you. you might say, well, why we make this emphasis upon the one? Aren't we trying to fill up the building and, and win as many as we can? And of course, that's true. We know that. But we have been called to minister to people, not a crowd. We're not here just to minister to faceless people. We are to build disciples, and you and I are important in the kingdom of God. Every person that comes into this building gives their heart to the Lord has needs. They have hurts. They have feelings. We understand that. We can never forget that. But just like we said, the church does not happen just here in a building on Sundays. It happens in the marketplace of life. It's the same with discipleship. It doesn't just happen in a classroom setting. It happens through the twists and the turns of life. Yes, we can teach the principles of discipleship from a classroom setting, but the impartation of one man to another, one woman to another, is what it's all about, discipleship is relational. I think back on my life and the ministry that God has given me, and I, I can tell you that I have uh, preached now for 30, however many years, a lot of years, and I've won a lot of people to Jesus Christ. But the, out of that group, there have some that have become my spiritual sons. And these are people that I have helped them. I have not just preached to them on Sundays or Wednesday nights. I, I've lived life with them. I help them 
learn how to raise their kids, how to love each other in a marriage situation. I taught them how to live as a Christian man or a Christian woman on their job, and how to do what's right, and, 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 and how to navigate death when it happens in a family. And and, and, and we're with them through, you know, all the, all the hurts and problems that life is all about. And this is the most important aspect of my ministry. Most people would think it's happened when you preach on Sunday, but let me just tell you something. That, that's, that, that's like icing on top of the cake. I love to minister. I love to preach. But I want to tell you something. It's all worked out through relationship. And so I, I, I might look at that and say, what does that mean for you? might look at it and say, what does this mean for me? Well, what it means for you is that you're going to, if you want to make a disciple, you're going to have to build relationships. You can't just come into church and leave church. You've got to realize, you know what? First, I've got to learn a few things. And as I begin to learn them, I, I've got to uh, find somebody, adopt someone as my son or my daughter in the faith, and, and I'm going to help them through it. Now, let me just tell you something. I'll warn you in advance, this is messy. I love to do discipleship from a classroom. I can preach a men's discipleship, have a great time, get out of my car, go on home, sit around with my wife and enjoy life. But when that real discipleship happens, it's usually at the middle of the night when somebody's in a hotel room shooting up and, and needs someone there. It usually happens when there, uh, you know, is a miscarriage uh, and they're calling and saying, Pastor, we've got problems. Uh, or my wife uh, has called the police on me and we're having a problem. Could you come? Uh, there's where discipleship happens. And so you and I have got to recognize <clears throat> this thing that we do, this ministry that we have, it's not going to be convenient. It's not always going to be fun. It's going to be a, a, a problem to us here and there. Will the sun leave us? Well, of course they will every once in a while. But what we do through the pain, through the failure, through the, 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 the messes of life, we're going to get our hands dirty because we know discipleship is relational. What this means is you're going to have to live your life transparently. You know, a lot of churches you'll go to, the pastor will kind of slide in, get on the pulpit, preach, slide back out, and everybody else handles everything. You're not, you're not, you're not in that church here. Your church, your pastor's here early. He stays late. You can call him on the phone. You can make an appointment. It doesn't take you three and a half months to, to get in and see him. You're able to sit down and communicate, talk, and work through the issues of your life. You ought to take advantage of that. And I can tell you that the joy of my life and the joy of my ministry is not public speaking. It's the pride that I have in my spiritual sons and daughters. I have a scripture that has been to me inspirational, and, and it, it kind of anchors me. Philippians 2.20 says, I have no one like Timothy, Paul's writing. He's loyal. He's genuinely concerned for you. Most people around here are looking out for themselves with little concern the things of Jesus, but you know yourself that Timothy is the real thing. He's been a devoted son to me as together we've delivered the message. What Paul's saying here is that, yes, I've ministered to the masses. I've traveled here, there, and everywhere preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm grateful for everything that I've been through. But I can tell you this much, that I have one that I can really count on. I've got a son 
His name's Timothy, and he served with me in the gospel. Together, we've been through thick and thin. We've been we, we've had these issues and problems, but together, we've done it. And this is why we place so much emphasis on fellowship in this church. It's why we open it up early and we stay later. It's why we get together and hang out in the cafe. It's why we spent the money to build that. I'll tell you why. We want to build relationships because discipleship only happens that way. Relational discipleship. So the first word was what? Intentional soul winning. The second word is what? Relational, what? Discipleship. And the third word is sensational results. That's the releasing or the sending. Sensation. Look at it in Isaiah 60, 22. He says these words, a little one shall become a thousand. And a small one, a strong nation, I, the Lord, will bring that to pass in the appropriate hour. Now, the mission God has given us will yield sensational results. Can I hear you say amen? Now, let me be honest with you. It is not the fastest method for church growth. As a matter of fact, sometimes I think it's the slowest method of church growth. It takes time. But the results will be sensational. It becomes humbling, right? I mean, begins that way. Win one. I, that, that's as humbling as it gets. How many did you open your church with, Pastor Art? Well, I opened up with a worship team, and I had all these, you know, 500 people show up on my grand opening. You ever hear those stories, and you're going, my God, how'd you do that? Amen. It started with looking for someone to walk through the door. It's the winning of one. It takes time, but over time, it begins to multiply, and the power of multiplication begins to kick in. Notice the language here. He says, a little one shall become a thousand. In other words, there is time that's required for this process to yield its fruit, but the results will be sensational. A little one will become a thousand over time, and a small one, a strong nation over time, because release begins to open the door for multiplication to kick in. Now, Jesus illustrated this in a way that the society of his time would understand it. It was an, uh, an agricultural society. And he talked about the seed, didn't he? Maybe you remember the seed, uh, he began to sow. A sower went out to seed. Well, we know what that is. Uh, that's us uh, out on the, on the field uh, throwing out some seed. And he went out of his way to tell us that much of that seed will just not yield any kind of fruit at all. But he went on to say, some of that seed will find some good ground. And when it finds good ground, something's going to happen that is sensational. It'll yield fruit, maybe 30 or 60 or a hundredfold. Let me tell you something. 30-fold's not that bad. Amen. 60-fold is unbelievable. And when we get to that hundredfold, it is flat sensational. Amen. You know, I pioneered our church. And on the first service that we had, 
Actually, it wasn't even a service. It was a movie that I showed. A couple came through the doors of our church, named with Raul and Lupita Barajas. And uh, Raul didn't even speak English. And um, I, I, at that time, I was showing three different movies. That they were talking about the end times. And he showed up for the first night. And um, I did my best altar call, but, of course, he didn't understand a word that I was saying. And I, he showed up again the second night, so happy to see him. And, I, again, I preached his, my heart out and no response. Third night, I did the same thing and, again, no response. So I grabbed him and I said, hey, dude, I may never see you again. I worked through his wife to uh, communicate. I said, but I want to tell you something. You need to know Jesus right now. He started to cry and he told me a story that he had had a dream the night before we started that movie series, and it was the same as the movie all the way through. He gave his heart to Jesus Christ that night and began a process. I mean, they were married and in the place of, of divorce. They didn't trust each other. But I ate dinner with him on a regular basis. And then my wife and I spent time with them, went to, went, did everything together with them. Over a period of time, we began to work. Let me tell you something. About three years later after that, we pioneered him. We sent him into uh, Tijuana, Mexico. And today, there are 57 churches in Mexico as a result of that seed. I'm talking sensational. Amen. Now, it's not a fast process. Let me tell you that. It's not a cheap process. It's, it, it is a difficult thing to do. But let me tell you something. When you and I get involved in the work of the ministry over a period of time, the results are, are sensational intentionally winning the people to Christ, uh, relationally building them into a disciple, and then watching the sensational, the results that begin to happen. We began uh, to, to in our church and ministry to really focus in on volunteers. I, you've heard that come forth, not, not only from my message last night, but from my son's message this morning, and you'll hear more of that, I'm sure, tonight. And we started this uh, process of involving uh, more and more people getting teams together that work together to, to make our church excellent. Uh, and, and here recently, a, a Sunday morning service, just to put on one Sunday morning service, we had 63 volunteers active to put on one service. Come on, so that's sensational. 63 people involved ministering uh, on a Sunday morning to get the job done. I want to tell you something. Uh, the sky is the limit. Uh, and you may look at it and say, yeah, we've been at this for this many years now. We've been working on this, uh, and we've not seen the results that we uh, wanted to see. Let me tell you something. It will become a thousand. It will become a strong nation. It just uh, takes a little time, but the results God's way are sensational. The way that happens is multiplication. It begins with the one. When I say the one, buddy, I'm pointing at you. You were the one that got one to Jesus. And then you were relationally walked through life. The word of God imparted into your life until you were in a release to begin to minister. As my son says, it's not something you got to get up and do it, something you have the privilege, the honor of doing. And so now what do you do with that? Well, you've got to get back after it intentionally. You've got to reflect the light of Jesus Christ so that 
You have the opportunity to relationally disciple someone, and every one of you should be involved in that. Let me just tell you something. The results are sensational. I, I honestly, you know, Adam and I were having a conversation. He was talking about this morning on the way uh, just to the meeting here. And God has blessed my life. I mean, I have no right to be a preacher of the gospel, and he's taken me. I can't tell you to how many nations. I've lost count of the nations that God's allowed me to minister in, the, the wonderful experiences that I've had. But I, if it all boils down, and you were to ask me, what's what, what, what floats your boat? I would tell you, it's my sons and daughters. I had you read that scripture last night during the end of the sermon. When it all boils down, it, it, it really doesn't matter how high that you've gone in ministry, it will matter how many people you've taken up with you in ministry. I mean, to see my son doing what he does, to drive down to Mexico and minister with my son, Raul, in Mexico, or I mean, to, to, to go over to our campus in Buena Park and watch my son Stephen Perez just doing a great work for God. This, these are the things that so my part of this conference is over. I know the conference really is just beginning because tonight's going to be tremendous. Sunday, I know that's going to be tremendous. But I want to leave you with this. And I think what you've seen 